Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of careful cultivation. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And today our topic is Japanese tea, known in Japanese as cha or ocha. Tea is the most commonly drunk beverage in Japan. That is correct. And an important part of Japanese food culture. Yeah. You know, I tried to look into this. I wasn't 100% sure. When they say most commonly drunk beverage, do you think that includes water? I would guess not. But even if it did, it still might be the most popular in Japan. Yeah, it could be. I mean, they serve it all over the place. You can find it in restaurants and get it out of vending machines. There are little kiosks all over that sell tea. You can get it at convenience stores, supermarkets. It's drunk hot or cold. And if you're traveling in Japan, your hotel usually has tea for you. Yeah, a lot of times they'll greet you with tea. Yeah, or there'll be a tea or a hot water machine and some tea in your room. Yeah, I had some tea that I got to make myself at that temple I stayed at in Koyasan. It was good tea too, high quality stuff. Nice. Yeah. Temple tea. Mm-hmm. And I also want to point out that all true tea is from the tea tree. The species is called Camellia sinensis. So whether it's black tea, green tea, white tea, all of it comes from that same species. And there are different cultivars of that, different strains, but still the same species. Uh, you may have heard of herbal teas. Those are commonly referred to as teas, but technically it's a separate category because they're not made with the tea plant. We just don't know what else to call them. Well, there is another word I've seen used, teasons. Interesting. Yeah, it seems like the kind of word that uh, only tea snobs really use a lot, if you know what I mean. To me, that reminded me of like tofurkey. Like it's not tea, but it's kind of like tea. So we're <laughs> going to use the word tea and then just like throw some other thing on the end. I guess. It's a French word. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what the translation there would be, but. Okay, okay. Yeah. So the tea tree, it's referred to as a tree or a shrub. Like they're short things. They don't look like big tall trees or anything with a bunch of branches. Somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So there's your intro to tea. All right, let's talk some tea history, shall we? History time, my favorite. I know it is. So when did tea first come to Japan? Sounds like it was somewhere in the 700s to the 800s and from China, of course. And at first, when it first came to Japan, it was a luxury product, only available to priests, noblemen, very rich people, and it was seen as a medicinal drink. Yeah, it still kind of is. Yeah, I mean, it's known for having a ton of health benefits, and people are told to drink tea when they have like a cold or something even. So a little bit later on, right at the beginning of the Kamakura period, in 1191, Eisai the founder of the Rinzai sect of Zen Buddhism in Japan brought back from China the custom of making tea from powdered leaves. And subsequently, the cultivation of tea began to spread across Japan. Yeah, he actually also brought back specific seeds that he planted, and those were supposed to be like some of the best tea plants in Japan at the time. So he was pretty influential in popularizing tea throughout Japan. And he even wrote a book called Kisa Yojoki, which means drinking tea for health. He was hooked. Yeah. So tea cultivation spread all over, but it was still just for rich people at this point. And it wasn't until the Muromachi period when tea became more available to all social classes. That period was between 1333 and 1573. So everybody was getting all tea crazy. 
Yeah, people would actually gather for big tea drinking parties, and they played a guessing game where the participants would drink from a cup of tea being passed along, and they would try to guess the name of the tea and where it came from. Yeah, a lot like wine tasting. You know, you got a bunch of different teas. Yeah, but these could become high stakes gambling affairs too. Really? Yeah. Not always, but they definitely gambled on it. I also saw that people like to show off their fancy tea utensils at these parties. Yeah, that's what the fancy rich people were up to. Yeah. Like the in the bamboo episode, we talked about the bamboo scoops that the tea masters had. They're a bunch of little tea brewing paraphernalia sort of things that people would collect. And some people started having more refined parties with much more emphasis on etiquette and spirituality. So you'd hold it in a, a small room with just a few people, very intimate sort of more formal thing. And this was the origins of the famous Japanese tea ceremony. Yeah, and it almost gets me thinking that it might be a reaction to the fact that they were having these rowdy tea-tasting parties that it's like, yeah, that's not really for me. Let's go do something quiet with just a couple people. Yeah, it kind of became that. the reaction to that to give people a different choice. Sure. Nowadays, there are tons of different types of tea in Japan, and tea is, like we said, the most commonly drunk beverage. Very popular. So what's special about Japanese tea? What makes it different from other types of tea? Well, you may be familiar with black tea. That's pretty popular in the West, I would say. The UK is all about tea, right? They drink types of black tea, right? Oh, yeah. And black tea is black because it is oxidized. So the tea, when it's exposed to air, over time it oxidizes. That's what turns it black. That's why when you brew it, you have a very dark liquid. But almost all tea in Japan is a type of green tea. So green tea, when you brew it, it's green. And the leaves also look green when you buy them and you look at them. And the reason they stay green is because Japanese green tea is steamed. And that stops the oxidation process. So that really changes the flavor a lot. Very different from black tea. It's going to be kind of grassier, fresher, lighter. I feel like it retains more of its original character like it would have had when it was still on the plant. You know? I think that's fair. So ryokucha is the Japanese word for green tea, but there are a bunch of different types, and they vary in the way that they're cultivated and the way that they're processed. So green teas are by far, you said, more popular in Japan. Yep. What's the most popular green tea? Well, more than 80% of the green tea processed in Japan results in something called sencha. Sencha is the most popular and widely consumed green tea in Japan. It's kind of an everyday tea. A lot of people drink several cups every single day. And the way sencha is made is that the uppermost buds and leaves from the tea plant are plucked, which usually happens by machine these days, but there are still people, different places in Japan, that pick tea by hand. That stuff can get pretty expensive. But once they're picked, and this can happen several times in a growing season, like you said, it's steamed to prevent the oxidation. And that steaming is also what makes it different from Chinese green tea. In China, they would pan fry the tea instead of steaming it. So once the tea is steamed, it is then progressively dried and rolled until you end up with these little fine sticks. They kind of look like 
And once they're put in water, they expand, and you can tell that they are actually the rolled-up leaves of the plant. And again, with this drying and rolling, that's usually done by machine these days. But that can also be done by hand, and there are still places that do that, but it's going to be quite a bit more expensive. So the highest quality tea every year is the tea that's picked on first flush, which is the very first picking of the year, which happens on a very specific date that's called Hachijuhachia, which is the 88th day after the first day of spring. Cool. So every year, that's when they first go and pick tea, and the very best sencha is going to come from that harvest. Yeah, because it's had the entire winter to kind of store up all those nutrients, and it's pushing all those out into those very first leaves. Tea can also be made out of later harvests throughout the season, but those are going to grow so much faster that they don't have as much of the nutrients and the flavor chemicals in them. Yeah. Another thing I thought was interesting about Sencha is that it's the highest concentration of vitamin C out of any tea per unit weight. It's said if you drink four or five cups of Sencha a day, you get about half your recommended amount of vitamin C. Huh. That's more than I would expect. Yeah. And four or five cups, I'm not sure if that means like small Japanese teacup or like full-on sized American coffee mug. That's a good question. Because that's a big difference too. But either way, that's a decent amount of vitamin C for being in a tea where you're just absorbing nutrients through the, you're not even drinking the leaves. Yeah. So anyway, to prepare this tea, it's often made in a Japanese teapot, which is called a kyusu. And you might have seen a style of these with a handle on the side, like you got a spout, and then 90 degrees from that, there's a little handle on the side. I like that style. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. But a kyusu doesn't have to be made like that. They can also have a top handle or a back handle. Kyusu is just the Japanese word for teapot, basically. Okay. And there's usually a filter at the base of the spout to catch the leaves. Sometimes there's a metal screen sort of filter in there too, but traditionally, the old styles, they would just have like a clay pot and they would poke holes at the base of the spout, you know? And you can brew those same leaves several times so you can get a bunch of cups of tea without using brand new leaves every time. Although in my personal opinion, that first cup is always the best. <laughs> So let's talk about another variety of tea called gyokuro. Gyokuro is very similar to sencha in the way that it's processed, but the way it's cultivated is a little different. Right, Paul? Yes. So for gyokuro tea, what they do is for 20 days during the growing process, they shade the tea plants. So they put up a big, large overhead framework of reed screens and rice straw to block out the sun. So this slows down photosynthesis, uh, which results in high levels of an amino acid that's responsible for the full-bodied flavor. So you get the most of that full-body flavor as possible. Yeah, I've seen it described as sweeter, mellower, and less bitter than other types of sencha. And that umami flavor if you do any reading about gyokuro versus sencha and stuff, you'll see a lot of people mention umami, which is supposed to be a flavor that's kind of hard to describe, but it's a popular concept in Japan. Probably best described as like a savory sort of flavor. And I, 
Personally, I would say that what I love about these Japanese green teas is that they're full-bodied. Like a lot of types of tea have more of an aroma than they do a, a taste, especially herbal teas. I feel like they're mostly like drinking hot water, but they smell nice. But that umami flavor really gives tea a lot of body, and it feels like you're actually drinking something that's not just water. I don't yeah, know. Japanese green tea, the taste definitely backs up the aromas. Yeah. Tastes like, it smells like. Yeah. So yeah, that shading is the main thing that makes gyokuro different. The rest of the processing is the same as sencha. But gyokuro is considered very high grade and is generally pretty expensive relative to other types of tea. In fact, less than half of a percent of the green tea in Japan becomes gyokuro. So that's at least part of the reason that it's expensive. I mean, it's expensive because there's less of it around and because of the extra labor that goes into making it. Yeah, the extra labor plus you get less of it. Blocking out the sun, it doesn't grow as quickly. Mm, yeah, good point. And if that wasn't enough, the extra cost, I read that it takes twice as much leaves as sencha to make your tea. So you're going to want to use one gram of gyokuro per fluid ounce of water. Oh, wow. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So it's not uncommon to see a hundred gram bag of gyokuro going for 50 American dollars, which would mean that to make 20 ounces of tea with those leaves, you're going to have to use 20 grams of tea. So that's like $10 for 20 ounces of tea. Wow. It's pretty expensive, right? Yeah. I can't even think of any other liquid that's that expensive. But again, <laughs> you can use those leaves more than once. So you're really getting more than that much tea, you know, but for that very first super delicious cup, pretty expensive relatively. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So if you want, maybe try some gyokuro if you have the money to spend on it. Okay, so there are other variations on sencha that you can find in Japan. If you take some sencha, usually later harvest, lower grade sencha, and you roast that over charcoal, that turns it into something called hojicha. It's going to have a more toasty, caramel-like flavor, and that heat burns off most of the caffeine. So hojicha is a very low-caffeine type of tea. Good for kids. You don't want to give them a lot of caffeine or for drinking later in the day. Yeah. Another variation is called genmaicha. So this is where you take some of that sencha and you mix it with roasted rice. That's going to give it kind of a nutty, popcorn-y type flavor. And I believe I read that this came about when less affluent people wanted to make tea last longer. You know, originally when tea was available to the masses, it would still be fairly expensive. So if they wanted to... They were cutting their green tea with some rice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, figures, uh, you know, they would figure out how to get rice involved in their tea somehow. Rice is in everything. Yeah. You can also find genmaicha with matcha mixed into it. We'll talk about matcha a little, or next, I guess. But then it would be called genmaicha matcha iri. Oh. Genmaicha with matcha in it. So matcha, what is up with matcha? I feel like of all these types of tea, matcha is probably one that people have heard the most about because it's, it's everywhere now. You can get matcha lattes at Starbucks. Yeah. So matcha is made from the same leaves that the gyokuro is, the shaded leaves. Yeah, they're going to shade it for matcha. But they're dried out and milled into a fine powder. Yeah, they're still steamed, so it's, it's still a variety of green tea, just like all this other stuff we've been talking about. But the powder, that's what makes it matcha. 
And with matcha, it's claimed that it's got additional health benefits. Because you're consuming the actual leaf of the plant, right? You're not just getting the essence coming out into the water. You're actually drinking the leaves in the water. Exactly. You're getting all the non-soluble parts as well. Yeah. So the highest grade of matcha is going to be super bright green. Like it's really impressive looking when you open up a brand new canister of really nice matcha. Yeah, it looks really good. Yeah. But it's going to dull as it loses freshness and lower grades of matcha will even start out with a duller color. So you have to use matcha pretty quick. It doesn't last super long if you want like the optimal flavor you can get from it. And those lower grades are also often used for cooking or for lattes. Like the stuff that they're using at Starbucks is not super high grade matcha. Right. And since this is a powder, it's not prepared the same as all these other types of tea. You're not just steeping it in water. It's going to be mixed into the water. And there are special tools for that. So there's a bamboo whisk called a chasen that you use to whisk the powder into hot water in a bowl. And you can tell if you did it right because the top should be completely covered in these little tiny bubbles. It should be very frothy just from whisking it. Yeah, yeah. It does get that frothy look. It makes me really want to drink some tea when I see that. Yeah, it's, it's a really good looking tea. Yeah. And the green color to it is just, it's just like more green or brighter green than any other green tea, I feel like. Yeah, totally. And that froth on top, it's like you got this bright, light kind of green with the, the tea mixed in with the air and the water. And then underneath that, you got this really deep, dark green. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Good stuff. And like you said, with the more health benefits, more nutrients that you're getting from those leaves, you're also going to get more caffeine. So this is the highest caffeine type of tea. Another reason there's so much caffeine in matcha is because the shading process during the growth of the leaves also makes it a higher concentration of caffeine in the leaves. Okay, so gyokuro is also going to be higher caffeine than other types of sencha, you're saying? Yes, it is. But I heard something that I thought was really interesting, that along with caffeine, there's also elevated levels of something called theanine, mm -hmm. which is supposed to have a calming effect on you. So yeah. the two combined, the caffeine doesn't hit you as quickly or as suddenly. It doesn't seem to affect you as much. Yeah, I think I saw that that theanine is supposed to promote alpha wave production. I'm not sure if there's a lot of science behind that, but it sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, it does sound nice. So, And I can attest that I, I feel like drinking green tea calms me down. Yeah, unscientifically and anecdotally, I would say I don't feel the effects of the caffeine as much. Sure. So speaking of matcha, maybe one of the reasons that matcha is so popular is because it is the type of tea that is used in the famous Japanese tea ceremony. If you're not familiar with the tea ceremony, it is a very formal, structured, almost choreographed, ritualistic type of event where one person prepares tea for their guests in a very small, intimate gathering. But the tea that they use for this tea ceremony is thicker than the matcha you're going to see anywhere else. So normal type of matcha that you'll be served at uh, a tea house or something is called usucha, thin tea. And that's going to have that froth on the top. That's how you'll almost always see matcha. But in the tea ceremony, they make koicha, which is a very thick tea. So there's a much higher ratio of tea to water, 
and it's supposed to be a thick consistency, almost like honey or melted chocolate. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So there's not going to be any froth. And it's only made with the very highest quality matcha. They call ceremonial grade. That sounds good. Yeah, I've never actually done a tea ceremony or tried to make the really thick stuff. But man, that'd be interesting to try for sure. And uh, since it's so thick and matcha is known for being bitter, like it's really important to use the highest quality stuff or it's not going to taste good at all. So the stuff that they use for the ceremony is only made from plants that are over 30 years old. They're supposed to be at the very peak of their flavor. Wow. Of the whole lifespan of the plant. Wow. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. Yeah. So you're really breaking out the best stuff for your guests when you have a Japanese tea ceremony. So all the stuff we've talked about so far is green tea. But you can find other types of tea in Japan that are not green. For example, oolong cha or oolong tea. Yeah. Which is almost green tea, but not quite anymore. Yeah. It's somewhere in between green and black tea. So the tea leaves are left to oxidize, but then at a certain point, they're stopped with either steaming or roasting. And it ends up being a brownish color. So it's not black tea, but it's not green tea anymore either. It comes from China, and it's quite popular all across Japan. And around the world, I'd say. Yeah. I see oolong tea sometimes in the U.S. too. Yeah, absolutely. So what about tea not from tea plants? Yeah, all the stuff we've mentioned so far is actually made from that Camellia sinensis plant. But there are types of tea in Japan that are not true teas. For example, mugicha popular. That's made from roasted barley. I think this is the one that's really popular iced in the summer. Yes, kids. it is. It's low caffeine content too, so they give it, it to well, their kids. There's no caffeine at all, right? This is barley. I don't believe there's caffeine in barley. Correction. There is no caffeine, <laughs> so they give it to kids. Uh, there's another type called soba cha. What's soba cha? Well, you remember soba we talked about in our food episode. Soba... Is buckwheat noodles. Right. So soba cha is made from roasted buckwheat kernels. Ah. Same stuff they use for the noodles. Okay. That's cool. Then got gobo cha from roasted shavings of the gobo, which is a burdock root. Oh, okay. You know what a burdock is? Yeah. What is it? It's a root. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm not super familiar with burdock. I was hoping you had more info. It's uh, skinny, kind of long. Like longer than a carrot, but as at least as skinny with like a brown kind of thick skin on it. Do people use them a lot in the U.S. in cooking or something? I wouldn't say a lot, but people use them, yeah. Okay. Uh, I read that it's supposed to have an earthy flavor, similar to mushroom broth. Okay. It looks like it would have earthy flavor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Roots usually have a pretty earthy kind of flavor, but I'm, I'm curious what that tastes like. I'll have to search that out. Uh, this stuff is also supposed to have anti-aging benefits. What? Yeah. Magical mushroom broth. Oh, uh, I just turned 33 the other day. I can't, I can't. You're sharing that with no, everyone? No, I can't, I can't. You want me to cut that out? Yeah, cut. I'm not cutting that cut. out. Cut. I'm mid-30s now, midlife crisis. Oh, I'm, Paul, it's I'm okay. distraught. You're still glowing with youth, Paul. That's what you say, but I look in the mirror. <laughs> I see reality. No, no. It's all in your head, buddy. (laughs) You're as young as the day we met. 
Only in my heart. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> so the one tea that I really want to try that's not really a tea is called kombucha. Not to be confused with the popular probiotic drink. Yeah, yeah. Western kombucha is fermented and slightly alcoholic, but that's not at all what we're talking about here. They don't drink that so much in Japan. Yeah. The kombucha I'm talking about is made from mixing ground or sliced kombu seaweed with hot water. And I've heard where you're likely to taste this is that it's often served as a welcome drink at a ryokan. Interesting. I don't think that's what they served me at a, at a ryokan. Okay. It's supposed to have a salty taste, which makes sense. It's seaweed. It's from the ocean. Yeah, it be seaweed, salty. seaweed tea, basically. I'm, I'm curious about that too. Yeah. Yeah, I want to try it if I get the chance. Yeah. I mean, we can buy dried kombu. I don't know if it's processed exactly the same as it would be for the tea, but you can use a similar sort of stuff as the base for miso soup. Oh, okay. Sounds good. So there's one we forgot. Oh, crap. What's that? What kind of tea did you drink while you were in Okinawa, Jason? Oh, well, there's something that's popular in Okinawa called Sanpincha. And I had to look this up when I saw it at a vending machine there because I'd never heard of that before. And it's not really that big in the rest of Japan. It's mostly a big thing in Okinawa. And it's a jasmine tea. Yeah. And that's made by combining jasmine flowers with the green tea. Or I heard even sometimes an oolong tea base. Cool. You know, I didn't even realize that jasmine tea was named after a flower or that even jasmine was a type of flower. But when I tried it in Okinawa, I mean, it was pretty good. I liked it. You know, what I miss from Japan is all the access to all these different types of tea. Like here, if I want to try different types of tea, I have to go to, I don't know, a tea place and there aren't a ton of those around. Or I go buy some tea bags I can get some idea of what a tea tastes like, but, you know, tea bag tea is kind of the lowest quality of tea. Oh, you know, we, we didn't even mention all this stuff that we've been talking about, these different types of tea, you're going to buy them loose leaf, generally. You can find tea bags of sencha and hojicha and all that stuff, but to make that, they're using like the lowest grade that they can get, you know, the stuff that just falls off, the powder that... Uh, comes off all the good stuff. Yeah, tea bags are definitely a Western thing and uh, not very popular in Japan. But you know, every time I go to Japan, I discover a new type of tea. And actually, when you and I went, that was when I first got into Sencha, and now I drink it every day at work. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Actually, at my on my last trip, I discovered, well, I'd had hojicha before, but I think only out of a tea bag. So I didn't really know kind of what it was supposed to taste like. But I got a little bottle of hojicha at the sumo tournament, and now I think I'm going to get some because I didn't realize at the time that it was uh, super low in caffeine. So I'm going to start drinking that at night, I think, before bed. Yeah, I was going to say, don't you drink coffee before you go to work? Not usually. Okay. I usually drink coffee on the weekends. Oh, okay, okay. To replace your tea. Yeah. So we have, you know, we got a French press at home. Making coffee is uh, more time consuming than the tea. So I just do the tea at work. All right, so you're not going too crazy on the caffeine. Yeah. Paul, have you tried any teas in Japan that uh, really stuck out to you that you liked a lot? I really enjoyed the iced teas in Japan. Hmm. You know, because I'd be walking around like sweating under the sun and you come up to this vending machine in the middle of nowhere and get an iced green tea, unsweetened, and it's just refreshing. Yeah. And in the morning, it gives you that little boost of caffeine. 
I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's super convenient. Vending machines are great, and I love that pretty much all of them have multiple types of tea in there. Did we mention before you just did now that these teas are generally not sweetened like at all? I'm not sure if we got to that in the intro or not, but they're, yeah, rarely sweetened in Japan. Yeah. But you can find sweetened teas or sweetened iced teas too. They're just not as common. Yeah. And they do have like matcha lattes at cafes and stuff there, but traditionally none of this stuff was sweetened. It's just, you know, the culture is very pure about their tea. You just got water and the tea and that's it. Yeah, that works though. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, that's how I like it. You don't need extra. Like, I'm a fan of sweet things, but I don't feel like tea is one thing that needs to be sweet. I'm with you. All right, so if you are going to Japan and you want an authentic Japanese tea experience, there are a lot of things you could do. You could visit a tea house. There are a lot of places that will teach you about that tea ceremony. Maybe you can try out that koicha, the super thick matcha. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, you could participate. Maybe they'll even teach you all the motions of the tea ceremony. Uh, You could visit a tea plantation. There are a bunch of regions known for growing high-quality tea. You could go visit and see how it's grown. I'm sure there are tastings involved in that sort of experience. Yeah, we went to Uji when we were in Japan together. Yeah, known as one of the very best places to grow tea in Japan. And they've got green tea everything there yeah especially so in front of uh temples and shrines a lot of times there are these shopping streets and in uji the shopping streets like that pretty much every store is selling some sort of twist on green tea yeah we stopped in a restaurant and i got green tea soba noodles yeah like noodles actually made with matcha so they're green Yeah, the noodles were green, and you could taste the green tea in them. And it's actually funny, because I was just trying to find something on the menu that would be vegan, and then these noodles came with a dipping sauce that had dashi in it, which is made from fish. So I couldn't dip my noodles in the sauce, and the lady that was serving us She noticed. She noticed. She just couldn't comprehend that I wasn't dipping the noodles in the sauce because you got to dip the noodles in the sauce. It's the best. Yeah. I think at first she thought you didn't know it was there because it had a little lid on it. So she comes over and takes the lid off and is like trying to explain to you in Japanese, you dip the noodles in the sauce. Yeah. I think she thought I just didn't understand what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And she was really trying to get me to do it. And I'm just trying to politely be like, no, no, I don't want to eat fish. And like the noodles tasted good, but honestly, they weren't that great without a sauce on them. Yeah. It would have been nice to have some soy sauce or something, but it was, uh, it was a good experience getting to try them. And it was kind of fun with the, with the server there. <laughs> yeah. It was a little awkward, but. In a good way. It was an experience. Yeah. It was a story. She was really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I like experiencing new things. I think I've said that. And that whole street, that shopping street was full of new things. Like, I mean, we didn't try all this stuff, but they had pancakes with matcha powder sprinkled on top of them. They had matcha wine, like all sorts of alcoholic beverages with green tea in them somehow. Yeah. I'd like to try the wine sometime. Yeah. I don't know. All sorts of stuff. And of course they were selling different types of green tea and matcha and like really high quality stuff. Yeah. I took some green tea home with me to make some iced tea with. Mm -hmm. It was good. Yeah. 
Uji's got some good stuff. And if you want to try Japanese tea without going to Japan, there are plenty of places where you can buy it. Um, you can find green tea on Amazon and in grocery stores and at local tea shops, but don't buy from there. Don't do it. No? No, because Japanese tea is not super popular in the U.S., so a lot of those teas just end up sitting on shelves for a really long time. And when you actually buy it, you're not getting fresh tea. You're not getting the flavors that it's supposed to have. So what I would recommend is buy your tea from a website that sends it to you directly from Japan. You can make sure that you're getting super fresh stuff. And it's even going to be cheaper, generally, because that stuff that they're selling on the shelves at your grocery store or whatever is imported and marked up. And, you know, again, it just sits there for a long time. So not a great value. The website I use is called ocha.com, O-C-H-A.com. They have all sorts of tea. They'll tell you where it's from. You can search by like what kind of flavor you're looking for, what kind of color you're looking for. They have all the different varieties, the cultivars of the tea plant. Pretty good. And you can get organic tea there too. Paul, did you know that only 1% of all the tea grown in Japan is organic? I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised. Yeah. So yeah, I recommend Ocha.com. There are a bunch of other websites, though, that'll send it to you directly from Japan, and I definitely would recommend looking those up if you're interested in trying some of this stuff out. And some of them will also have like little gift packs or sampler packs, so you can try small quantities of a bunch of different kinds to see what you like. Yeah, that's a good idea if you're just getting into it. Yeah. All right. I think that's all I got on tea in Japan. Me too. I guess that's the end of the episode. Uh, join us on the next episode where we talk about samurai, Japanese warriors. The coolest warriors. Who can deny that samurai were super, super cool looking? I don't think there are warriors in human history that looked cooler than samurai. Don't you think? Uh, there are some other pretty cool ones, but cooler? Yeah, that'd be a stretch. Yeah. All right, well, if you want to... See some cool pictures, check out our Instagram, SJP Podcast. And if you want to reach out to us, send us an email to feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.